Welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. Hi, I'm Leanne Spencer. Welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. I have got an amazing guest for you this week. We met her back in September in New York City when she was doing a talk on uh, on the brain and the effects of exercise on the brain and I actually got to hold a human brain during this talk um, from uh, nicknamed Betty from somebody well over 20 years ago and that brain's been sat in in my guest's laboratory and it comes out for various talks which is why I met both brain and Professor Wendy Suzuki who is my guest this week. Um, Dr. Wendy Suzuki is a professor of neuroscience and psychology in the Center for Neuroscience at New York University. Her major research interest continues to be brain plasticity, but she's best known for her extensive work studying areas in the brain critical for our ability to form and retain new long-term memories. More recently, her work's focused on understanding how aerobic exercise can be used to improve learning, memory, and higher cognitive abilities in humans. Wendy's the author of the best-selling book, Healthy Brain, Happy Life. She's delivered several TED Talks, all of which I link to in the show notes. And in this episode, we discuss how exercise affects the brain, how Wendy got into exercise and ran a groundbreaking experiment in the classroom, uh, the effects of exercise on our hormones and our physiology, and what the best type of exercise is for overall energy and mood. Um, Wendy brings so much energy to this conversation that I, I know you're going to love this episode, but we look forward to getting your feedback. And, and if you enjoy this show, please share it with someone you think would benefit from it. Uh, and also leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate that. That's it for me. Uh, enjoy this episode. It's a real cracker. Professor Wendy Suzuki, welcome to the show. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. Yeah, no, we're really chuffed we, we could get you on and we could make it happen from when we met you in New York. Um, <laughs> if you would, let's, let's start with, with how we met and the end of that talk you gave, which was so full of energy and, and really entertaining. There I was holding a human brain. I, I yes. believe it was called Betty. It yes. came from your lab where she'd been residing for 20 years. Tell us a little bit about, the, in the talk, you talked about how you established uh, or got into the links between exercise and the brain and the effects that exercise has on the brain. Tell me a little bit about that, please. Yeah, so how I realized um, exercise was having such a, such a profound effect on the brain started with my, uh, my strong uh, effort to get tenure at New York University. And um, uh, it's a six year process and wow. I working hard. I did nothing but work. I went from my lab to my apartment, back to the lab. I had a lot of takeout. I didn't move at all except to go from my seat at home to my seat at, at work where I, where I focused. And um, not surprisingly, I ended up gaining 20 pounds mm -hmm. and I knew something had to change. And, um, and I actually had a wake, wake up call when I went on a river rafting trip um, to relieve the, the, the stress. And I found that it was beautiful. It was in Peru. I was on the water with a whole bunch of other active people. Um, but I was the weakest one on the whole trip. I was in my 30s. And uh, I was like, okay, this is, this is it. This, this was my wake up call. And literally the day that I got back from Peru, I marched to the gym and signed up. And I noticed that um, first, uh, the most immediate effect for me was that it put me in such a better mood when I started working out at the gym. I hired a trainer at first to really make sure that I got into it. And so I would get these great you know, bursts of energy after the workout. But um, 
I found this class that I loved. It was called Intensati, and it paired physical movements from kickbox and dance and yoga and martial arts uh, with positive spoken affirmations. So you would literally be punching and saying, I am strong now with a whole bunch of other sweaty affirmation yelling people. <laughs> and um, while it was ridiculous feeling the very first time I did it, you left class feeling like, yeah, I am strong. And I love that feeling. Mm. And, um, but then um, after I really got into it, I mean, I'm talking a year of, of regular exercise, including a lot of intensity. That's when I noticed that my writing seemed to be getting better because I could focus my attention deeper and longer and my memory. Uh, which was actually the topic in my neuroscience lab that I was studying uh, uh, specifically, um, that was getting better too. And that was my wake up call for science. It's like, wow, is that really happening to your brain? Maybe you're just having a good day. And it was the first step to realize that this is a fascinating and very, very powerful effect that I wanted to study specifically uh, in my research lab. Right, brilliant. So the obvious thing is, is kind of what happened there? How did you take it forward? Yeah, so um, the next thing I did was, um, I said, well, this is, this is interesting. I don't know that much about the effects of exercise in the brain. And so um, I started to read the literature and it was a fascinating literature, um, um, relatively new with lots of evidence showing that, uh, for example, in rodents, that um, if you give rodents access to a running wheel, they'll run and run and run and run. And it actually stimulates the birth of brand new brain cells in the brain area that I was studying in my lab, critical for memory. And that brain area is called the hippocampus. So I thought, aha, that's exactly what's happening to me. I, I'm noticing a, a, a stronger, uh, a better and more precise long-term memory. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun um, to learn, really dig deep into this uh, literature? And I know as a professor of neuroscience who teaches undergraduates a lot, that the best way to learn uh, a topic myself is to develop a new class on it and then mm -hmm. teach the undergraduate. So that gives me a real goal and a purpose. And so that's exactly what I did. I decided to teach a class called Can Exercise Change Your Brain, where I would have a great excuse to go and read all the literature and, um, uh, and digest it and then describe it for the students. But then I thought, well, you know, if um, this, whole, this whole idea to develop this new class was inspired by me going to the gym, you know, a year and a half ago um, and, and really getting regular. And wouldn't it be fun to actually bring exercise into the New York University undergraduate <laughs> classroom and not only teach the students about what exercise was doing to their brains, but also let them experience that for themselves. So I thought, oh, this is, this is a great idea. And I went to my- And has um, this been done before, sorry to interrupt you? Have no. Have you heard of anyone who'd brought exercise into the, into the, into the classroom? No, no I okay. hadn't. But I have to also say that um, I was also inspired by the fact that during the time I was taking all these intensity classes, I noticed myself walking out of class saying, I can't wait to come back again. I wonder when the next class is. Oh, I know, it's two days from now. I can't wait for two days because that was such a fun experience. Mm. And then I thought, you know, I'm a teacher. I wonder if my undergraduate neuroscience students say that after they come out of one of my lecture classes. And I thought, you know what? I, I actually don't think they say that. And I thought, hmm, how could I get my students to say that? And so I basically decided to steal the magic 
from those classes. And um, I wanted to bring Intensati into my classroom. And first I tried to hire an Intensati teacher and my administrators say, no, there's no extra money to do that. And so then I thought, well, I take Intensati all the time. Maybe I should train to become an Intensati instructor. And then I asked the administration, well, would you pay for my teacher training? Because I'm, I'm doing this to develop this whole new um, kind of innovative new way to teach neuroscience to students. And they said, that's a great idea. We will pay for your teacher training. So I had this amazing experience going to the gym, learning Intensati, something I've never done before. Um, and um, I had a five day uh, teacher training experience at the gym, nine to five at the gym every day. I was so sore, but so much fun. But then you can't just step out of teacher training and step into a classroom. That started a six month training period where I would literally just beg my friends to come over to my house and I would teach them an intensati class <laughs> to practice. I practiced for my cat, I practiced for anybody who would, who would you know, stand there and, and let me lead them. And of course, I was developing the whole class at the same time, which was fascinating on its own because mm -hmm. I was learning all about the literature. And um, I, I have this very, very visceral memory of that very first day of class, which was after literally six months of physical training to teach intensati and, and the full full on um, what it takes to develop a novel academic undergraduate course. All, all that was going, it was the most extensive class preparation that I'd ever done in my entire academic career. And so I walk into the classroom, the classroom had been cleared of all the chairs. And it was strange to walk into a classroom that I had lectured in in a very traditional way, um, um, starting this new class. And um, there were three things that were very different that day. First, I was clad head to toe in spandex because <laughs> teaching an exercise class, and that was very different from my usual attire. Yeah. Um, and second, I was really nervous. And I, you know, I, by that time, I had 15 years of experience under my belt. I was a great teacher, and I never got nervous before classes like that. I, I look forward to them, but I had never taught exercise before. And I'd been practicing for my cat, and I really hoped that I could, you know, I, I had this goal that I wanted the students to walk out of that classroom saying, that was amazing. I learned so much. I got to exercise. So I had this very high goal for myself. So I was nervous. Like, I really wanted to hit it and, and you know, get it done right. And the third thing that was very different was um, that the students themselves were, um, well, frankly, they looked scared. They, they, they knew they had to exercise, but I think when they saw me walking into the classroom in spandex and they realized, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to sweat with my professor. I'm not <laughs> sure if I'm comfortable doing that. Uh, there was clearly a look of terror and lots of nervous laughter um, that first day. Um, and there I, I was nervous, trying to hide my nervousness. And I knew the only way to, to see whether this would work at all, <laughs> whether I could actually pull it off was to start. And I have to say that that um, the students were fantastic. They got into it. They yelled out the affirmations. They really, they really did it full out. Even that first day, they had never known. They didn't even know what they were going to do. And uh, it completely changed the atmosphere of that classroom. And I've never taught an undergraduate or any class uh, um, the same since. 
that very first experience because it changed the energy mm. into this positive kind of interactive energy in class. The energy that I was enjoying in my own intensity classes, but I used that energy to then kind of uh, move forward. So we did the exercise first and then I went into the academic lecture. Right. And um, that energy that we generated in the exercise part of the class uh, easily flowed over into the academic part, which meant that students were e uh, felt much more at ease asking questions, questioning, getting more comfortable with just playing with mm -hmm. these ideas and these experiments that I was describing. And um, I got some great uh, um, uh, experimental proposals during this semester. And um, as I said, I've never taught an, uh, another undergraduate the same sense. I love the way you've intersected the two things, you know, academia and teaching with yeah. exercise, juxtaposed yes. right against each other to create this, yes. this completely different energy. So what impact did it have on the students? Did you actually so, measure that? I did, I did, because part of the things that I, part of the thing that I realized as I was preparing um, for these six months for this class is that, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have a whole classroom full of NYU upper division neuroscience majors whole classroom of undergraduates who will have increased their aerobic exercise over the semester. What if I make them my first exercise yeah. study? And so I collaborated with colleagues at Columbia University that had um, a, a task that was purported to be very sensitive to um, um, hippocampal enhancement, the kind of hippocampal enhancement that the rodent studies had shown should be going on with with um, with exercise, and so I tested them on this task at the beginning and at the end of the semester. And in the meantime, I had gotten another colleague to agree to uh, use his class as control class. So um, I I went up to him and I said, "Hey, are you are you making your students exercise during class?" And he said, "No." <laughs> and so I said, "Well, would you mind if that you know I'm doing this experiment? Could I test them at the beginning and the end?" Which was kind of a big ask because I would pull them out of his class for half an hour at the beginning of the end. And not everybody would want, want to do that, but he happily agreed. Um, and uh, so I had an exercise study. And what I ended up finding is um, no over improvement in um, long-term memory or hippocampal memory. But what we found was that my students at the end of the semester got significantly faster at responding to the memory test. So the reaction times improved, which has also been shown in the literature. And remember, this class was only once a week. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, it was, it was uh, an experiment to um, kind of give them more experience and to give them data to analyze, because that's what I did at the end of the semester. I pre-processed the data, gave them the data and said, here's, go, go to town on the analysis of this real data. It's your data. Of course, all the names were removed, so they couldn't tell whose scores were whose. Um, and um, so we found, uh, and they discovered, that it was reaction time that, yeah. that improved. So their ability so, to recall a fact or a piece of information? Uh, that, that was not improved, and we are exploring that. And so this was, this was a kind of uh, a, a classroom-based study. It wasn't a randomized control study because I couldn't randomize. They, they chose to come into this classroom. Yeah. Yeah. But that question that you're asking, can we see improvements in long-term memory, is a question that we're looking at in my, in my uh, randomized controlled research study that I'm doing in my lab. And the answer is yes, we are finding significant improvements on a version of that same task that I used for the students. Yeah. Okay. And what other, what other changes did you notice? So um, 
There was, uh, um, I mean, the biggest change uh, as a teacher was the level of engagement uh, of the students. And, and I have to say, it's not like, oh, the students transformed. I transformed as well. Uh, because to have this kind of playful interaction that you get with uh, an exercise class, especially one like this where I'm, I'm uh, working to, to get the students to yell out these affirmations and, and to kind of really change, change their mood in a very positive way, um, it absolutely affected me just as much as it affected uh, the students. Um, uh, the other interesting thing is at the end of each, uh, it was an hour of, of exercise and, and Tensati class lasts an hour. And it always ends with a five or six minute um, quiet meditation. So we do all this exercise, we get all these uh, affirmations out, and then we quiet down very, very uh, deliberately. And um, I think that was a wonderful way to then launch into the academic part of the class, mm -hmm. which was started with about a 30-minute lecture by me that I always encouraged to uh, um, you know, be interrupted by questions, but then it was always followed by a discussion. So let's talk about these, these uh, studies that, we've just, that I've just presented for you. How can we move to the next step and ask, what is, what is the next experimental question that we can ask that we don't know? about exercise and exercise in the brain is a wonderful topic to do this with because we're relatively early in the exploration. So there are some good studies and of course I chose um, high quality studies to present, but there's always 10, 20 more questions that we can ask after this study. And so uh, what I try to teach the students is how to identify that next interesting new experimental question. Mm. Okay. That, was, that was the goal. Yeah. So what else did you learn? Uh, so we learned uh, from the class. Yeah, or, 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 or where you took it next. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that, that class was kind of a turning point in actually my whole research direction uh, because it started out as kind of a hobby. Look at how much exercise changed my brain. Let's just learn about the literature in the field of neuroscience that I am in, but I didn't study the effects of exercise in the brain. I studied memory, parts of the brain important for memory. And so um, that class and that uh, uh, kind of experimental in-class study made me realize, hmm, that is, that is actually something that I am seriously interested in as an academic question. And it, it uh, switched the um, shifted my research focus that at first was going to be parallel, was going to do part of the lab continuing on with memory and part of the lab doing exercise. But I eventually realized that I was fascinated with the exercise studies. And so we have developed um, several lines of research in the lab. Um, the first one is um, um, one of the biggest questions in exercises is um, it's been, um, if it is a cognitive enhancer, can we use it to enhance cognition in elderly people where cognition is going down? Can we use exercise to do this? Can we uh, use it to combat things like depression um, and um, dementia um, or Parkinson's disease? And so a lot of the work has been done in bringing exercise to populations that are 65 years old or older. But there are issues with that. Um, there are physical limitations when you get older. We, it's just logical. Um, you, you can't necessarily get people to increase their cardio output uh, as much when they're 65 to 75 as they are uh, when they're 40 to 40 to 55. And so our first question is, what about this, this 
healthy young adult population? What if I really get them to work out and change their cardiovascular function, really get them to change their exercise? Basically, exactly uh, like what I did in my own life. What is the maximal kind of cognitive benefit that we can, we can um, observe in this young population that hadn't been studied in the literature? And um, that was interesting in a number of senses. First is we just don't know what the, what the possible window of improvement is in healthy adults. Um, I had some preliminary evidence from just my own self-observations, but that's not a study in itself. But second, I thought that this was much more logical a age group to start with if you really want to use exercise to combat dementia. Now, you don't want to start with a sedentary person who is 70 years old and say, okay, let's go, let's go walk around the block. Um, that's not to say it, it is helpful. What I would like to do is have the strategy be, let's start younger and we're gonna start with you know 40s and 50s and get them um, onto an exercise regime, show them what that is doing for their brain and hopefully get them to continue on. Um, and and you know, long-term, I'm, I'm going for the long game here yeah. uh, to get them, to start them early. And then, then the next goal is obvious, let's start earlier. What about college students? What about high school students? What about middle school students? These are all open questions which, um, and that right there kind of illustrates why I'm so excited about this. There are fundamental uh, uh, questions that make so much sense to start uh, um, looking at seriously. Can I provide the evidence for college-age students um, uh, for the minimum amount of exercise that can affect their academic performance so that so that legislators and, and acad academics have some actual science data to, to put in place these programs. Yeah. And of course, ask about elementary school students or high school students that really get, at least in the United States, get uh, far less than the minimum required exercise. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure that's the case here as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, can we provide the actual science, um, uh, again, minimum amounts to show to show cognitive benefits, not only in standardized tests of memory and attention and mood and anxiety that we all know are are growing so much in um, all populations, in particular in high school and college students, um, but also on their academic performance. Mm. What is the best way to show that? And we're actually starting starting those studies right now. Right, so that's happening at the moment. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Starting with my NYU students, because that's who I have uh, the most access to, but I have a lot of feelers out to um, different organizations that have access to younger students uh, that, that I don't personally uh, immediately have access yeah. to, including one that I think is very relevant for this podcast, which is uh, an organization out of Scotland called The Daily Mile. Have you heard of it? I have heard of it, yeah. Yes. I can link so, to it in the uh, show notes as well for any Yes, listeners. yes. So um, that is a wonderful organization. So, um, um, uh, that was started by um, a uh, um, former head teacher, Scottish head teacher in an elementary school, who noticed that these kids were, they're not, they, were, they weren't healthy, they weren't moving at all. And she just implemented the simple idea 
would you, she invited her teachers to take her students out at any time during the day that was convenient for them and run for 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. It wasn't competitive. You can start out walking, but it was 15 minutes every single day. And they started out walking because the kids had no, no you know, cardiovascular uh, uh, function. But by the end of that year, everybody was running and they brought out the uh, uh, kids with special needs in their wheelchairs and they got them running. And the teachers ran themselves. It was only 15 minutes. So, you know, the amount of sweat wasn't wasn't so, so bad. Yeah. And um, um, they now have, I think, 3,000 schools uh, across, no, more than 3,000 schools, many, many schools across the UK, across Scotland, across England. And um, I'm uh, um, um, in talks with them to help monitor what those positive brain effects are. Yeah. So, what, what did uh, they find when they did the pilot then, the first school? Uh, yeah, so they found, um, they've been collaborating with a whole wide range of different institutions across the UK. They're, they're based, I mean, their headquarters is actually in London. And so they found significant improvements in, um, um, in standardized test scores is what they've been focused on. And so the finding was, um, if I get this correct, is that um, relative to what their projected, uh, um, uh, projected standardized scores would be based on their history, this group of students that did the daily mile for a whole year far exceeded that standardized test score that they ended up taking at the end of the year. Right. So they're gathering evidence for clear academic improvements with the simple free 15 minute um, exercise that all it needs is teacher, uh, of course, and student buy-in. Yeah. It's yeah, so interesting, isn't it? And I, I yes. read a study that showed that 10 minutes of brisk walking a day yeah. can improve overall mood and energy for up to two hours. And if it's done consistently over at least three weeks, yes. the overall increase in mood and energy lasts a lot longer than that. I mean, it's right. phenomenal. What it do is. we know for sure about the effects of exercise on the brain? I know there's neurogenesis, neurogenesis so the creation yes, of new brain yes. cells. Uh, what do we yes. know about anxiety and depression in particular? Because I think well, they're issues I mean, that a lot of people suffer from. And our, our audience of busy professionals, I know, have you know, exactly. experience of this. What yes. do we know for sure? So let me let me um, break that down into two different kinds of studies. There are studies that have been done in animal models. And so that gives us an, a, a, a detailed understanding of um, what are the actual brain changes happening. Mm -hmm. And even a single bout of uh, aerobic exercise running um, can increase levels of neurotransmitters associated with positive mood. You've heard of them all. Serotonin, yeah. dopamine, noradrenaline, endorphins go up. Um, uh, and kephalins go up. People might not have heard of that, but that might be even more important than endorphins that are more famous um, in improving. Um, 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 they're basically the brain's um, uh, morphine. It, uh, it, what did you call them? Uh, and kephalins. Yeah. And kephalins. So that is oh. what's happening at the um, biological level of the brain. And, um, and what is the behavioral output? What do we feel? We feel um, um, increased positive mood, decreased negative mood, increased you know, energy, um, 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 increased uh, um, empowerment uh, in, in, in feeling of, of strength and power. And um, 
the the actual findings in depression are a little bit mixed not because they're not powerful but but there haven't been enough studies done uh using a the strong you know randomized control design um but uh obviously that that is a direction that many people are going again what is the minimum exercise prescription to uh, uh, affect uh, this form of depression or that form of anxiety. Depression has been um, studied more than anxiety, even though they're they're very strongly uh, related. Mm -hmm. um, you often have have diagnosis of both at the same time. But um, yes, as you were the the study that you just cited, uh, a single bout of exercise can be long lasting, mm -hmm. and um, which sounds great, but the difficulty is. Uh, for a researcher or a clinician is that it's so much easier to take a pill than it is to yeah. get somebody with depression or anxiety outside, even for a simple walk. Yeah. Um, those of us that aren't depressed say, yeah, you know, I feel great. I, I look forward to it. That's not the mindset. Obviously, you're starting with a, a person that, that it's very difficult to get them to do this, which is, which is part of the issue. Yeah. So um, yeah. how do you start with the motivation? How do you get them to notice this so that they, they self-motivate in that way? And, um, but if they do it, it is, it is a natural high, a natural mood boost. And does it matter what type of exercise it is? Is it cardiovascular over strength or? Yes, um, so the most information is known about cardiovascular exercise. Simply put, you need to get your heart rate up. Right. And um, our preliminary evidence from our lab, um, I'm gonna share this because it's so, uh, it's so exciting. We have compared um, the effects of 30 minutes of sitting. This is not in depressive, depressive patients, but just uh, uh, normal uh, um, subjects, normal yep. subjects, healthy subjects. We compared uh, the mood effects of 30 minutes of sitting, 30 minutes of um, uh, walking, 30 minutes of continuous aerobic exercise, that is jogging on a treadmill, and 30 minutes of high intensity interval training uh, that, you know, going up to really getting your heart rate up and then going back down, going up, going down for 30 minutes. And we asked which one of those four things uh, improves your mood the most. What do you guess it is? Sitting, walking, continuous aerobic exercise, or um, high intensity interval training? For mood. Mood. Yes. I'm going to go out on a limb and say walking. You're going to go out on a limb. You were right. Oh, so actually all of them, um, uh, walking, continuous aer aerobic exercise and high intensity interval training all increase your mood over sitting. But the one that does it the most is simple walking. Wow. So, um, so that should be fantastic news. You don't have to run a triathlon or run a marathon to get these mood effects. Walking can do it. And, and uh, you know, you might think, oh, you might need to walk outside. These studies were done in the lab. They were walking on a treadmill on a, you know, so we can control exactly how fast they were So it walking. ignores the benefits you get from being outside, from a possible yes. social element, and of course, exactly. the sunlight and, and many other things. Yes, that could enhance that yeah. Uh, yeah. even more. Terrific. So, um, yes, it's a very, very exciting uh, possibility that's free and simple and um, requires willpower, but not money yeah. or pills. Yeah, and, and, and it's location independent as well. And it's what exactly. it's designed to do. 
Yes, um, exactly. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're, we're just into our last couple of minutes, but can you share with us a few of your own personal habits and practices that have been really successful for you? You know, the Intensati class has obviously been a sure. game changer. Yes, yes. Intensati was a game changer, but I am a big proponent of self-experimentation. I'm always trying to yeah. figure out what is the best routine? Was it affecting what's affecting my brain function as a neuroscientist and, and my energy levels? And so here's my newest formula, um, which is um, I'll go back one step. Uh, um, a an experiment that I did is I was doing exercise at the gym after work every night. I loved it. I looked forward to it. You know, end of my day is like a treat. I get to go to the gym, and that was great. But I. Um, I did an experiment to see what would enhance my brain function and self-monitored uh, uh, brain function the best, my, my after work um, exercise or early morning exercise. Mm -hmm. And so I forced myself to go to the gym at 6.30 a.m. every day for two weeks. Um, just, just, and I tell myself, you can stop it after two weeks, but you, you need to do this experiment. And it was horrible the first few days. I got I was like asleep at the gym. I, I, my body wasn't woken up because I wasn't used to it. But once I got over that hump, I noticed that those early morning workouts at the gym really let my uh, enhanced brain function last so much longer during the day. It started first thing when I got to work and lasted for a long time. It's not that late night workouts or evening workouts were good, but if I compare the two, for me, early morning was better. Mm -hmm. And now, next step is I've added um, um, to actually actually to uh, address the I'm not a quite awake yet issue uh, with early morning exercise, I've added um, a meditation at home. So I literally do um, 30 minutes of meditation when I first wake up that really wakes me up physically and mentally. And then I follow that up with a minimum 30 minute workout that now I've been doing um, through the online online classes at home. Right. So I decrease that time. I still love going to the gym because I love a good teacher and good music that they provide. But um, that has been my go to every and, and also um, I've tried to try and do this seven days a week, not four to five, but seven days. So that okay. is my so that 30 is my minutes of meditation. What do you use for, for meditation? Yeah, so I um, I was very lucky. I got exposed to a, or I met a, uh, a monk um, who introduced me to this form of meditation that he calls tea meditation, tea, T-E-A okay. meditation. Uh, and so what it is is um, a, a ritual where you brew and drink tea as the meditative process. And for me, I could never just sit still and do nothing and meditate. I, I tried, I tried for years and I always had to do a guided meditation, which are fine too. But I found that the ritual, so I set everything up and so my hot water is there and I'm brewing like four or five cups of fresh tea and drinking them and, and in silence, no reading the newspaper, no doing anything else. And I found that that making and brewing of tea is such a calming ritual that it helps me get into meditation. So I, I do that ritual for 30 minutes every morning mm -hmm. and that wakes up my body. It, it, it 
puts me, uh, gets me ready to actually then move physically in the, uh, either whether I go to the gym or I do my 30 to 45 minute workout online. Yeah, I mean, I, I do 10 minutes a day, typically in the morning. Um, today yeah. I didn't have a chance, I'll get in at some point today. I use Headspace, yes. but I'll look into uh -huh. the tea meditation. Of course, I'll link to it in the show notes as well. And I think yes. that juxtaposition though, just to finish off of, of exercise and meditation is so powerful. It what is. I do is, is when I've done high intensity exercise, I'll put a 10 minute meditation on the end of that as yeah. a way of bringing myself from sympathetic dominance <laughs> nice to, to parasympathetic dominance. But I love the idea of using it as a, as, as preparation for, yes. for your body for exercise as well. I love, <clears throat> love flipping it. Um, yes. Unfortunately, we, we're out of time. I want to be respectful of the time that, that I've asked for. Um, thank you very much, Professor. I really appreciate it. Um, I will you link to your book um, and to everything else that you've done. Uh, and you've got some exciting stuff coming up, I saw. Um, linking yes. uh, workouts with, or d just tell us very briefly what it is, what you've got coming up next. Uh, well, actually, the uh, the next exciting thing is that um, I gave a TED Woman talk in New Orleans just last month, and that's coming online, I believe, in February. It will be on my website, okay. uh, wendysuzuki.com. But I also uh, have been involved uh, with this wonderful um, kind of, it's like a science nightclub, which is where I met you in yes. New York City. And there, I, um, they are developing new ways to communicate science to the general public. And I am paired with an opera director. She directs operas. And we are creating a new show about uh, love and brain awe and um, women empowerment in science. And it's called Memories First Kiss. And it's gonna, my first performance of that show is january 15th at caveat in new york city caveat in new york city and i'll link to all of that including your website and all your contact links on social media Fantastic. in the show notes thank you so much thank you thanks for listening to the show if you've enjoyed what you've heard help us to reach more people by leaving a rating and a review on itunes we would really appreciate that and it would help us to spread the good word even further thanks again for listening we'll see you on the next show